Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. Hello and welcome to our Sunday night study of the book of Revelation. I'm Pastor Teacher Chris Hall, Pastor of Mercedes Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. And it's good to have you with us on a Sunday night as we look into this marvelous book, the very last book of the Bible. And tonight we're in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. In these verses, we're going to see two different kinds of harvest. And we'll talk about what these verses mean and what these harvests represent in just a moment. I uh, pray that you had a wonderful day today at your church as you gathered together with God's people to worship the Lord. Pray that you had a blessed time. We had a wonderful time at Mercedes Baptist Church today. We got together with our uh, church family. We sang songs of, uh, of faith. We expressed our love for the Lord and worship through song and through fellowship and through prayer. And then we opened the Word of God and uh, we studied from the Word of God. What a wonderful day it was at Mercedes Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. But tonight we turn to Revelation and uh, we're deep into the book of Revelation now. If you want to know a little bit about the chronology of where we are exactly in the book of Revelation, we're somewhere probably in the latter half of the time of tribulation. That's that seven-year period of, of time when God will uh, pour out His final judgment upon a lost world, a rebellious world, an ungodly world, uh, a world that hates Him during the time of the tribulation. So we're, we're past the midway point, and uh, we're, we're headed toward the end of the time of the tribulation. And of course, the time of the tribulation ends with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when uh, He comes again, He will set up His millennial reign on a rejuvenated earth. He will reign for a thousand years on this earth. And then, at the end of that thousand years, He will usher in the new heaven and the new earth. And so we're quickly headed toward the final segment, the final part, the final look at the time of the tribulation here in the book of Revelation. So tonight we're in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Before we go to our study of these verses, let's do go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a good and blessed day today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your blessings, your grace, your goodness, your kindness, your compassion. Thank you, Father, for your protection that you give us. Thank you for the greatest gift we have and that is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that uh, you will continue to bless us, and Lord, continue to help us to love you and serve you in greater ways. Thank you for who you are and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Before we get into our study of these verses from the book of Revelation, I want to read to you something that uh, Pastor Jack Hiles wrote many years ago. Pastor Hiles was a pastor from Indiana, had a great ministry, a great church, a prolific writer, a, pro a prolific preacher, uh, preached multitudes of sermons, a great heart for God and a great heart for those who were lost. He was a tremendous pastor and evangelist. 
And in one of his sermons, this is what he said, and he says what he says here in these verses so succinctly. Listen to what Pastor Jack Hiles said many, many years ago. He said, and I quote, This world is divided into two groups, the saved and the lost, those that are going to hell and those that are going to heaven, those that are born again and those who are without God. There were two thieves on the cross, one on either side of our Lord. One of the thieves was saved, the other was lost. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was justified, the other was not. One was saved, the other was lost. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. There are two classes of people as God sees them in this room this morning, Pastor House wrote. Either you are saved or you are lost. There is no hope so. There is no trying to be. There is no maybe so. There is no wishing so. No. Either you are saved and on your way to heaven, or you are lost and on your way to hell. What we have in these verses that we will look at tonight is a picture that really depicts the same thing. We see a dramatic presentation in these verses of the gathering of the saved to God and the gathering of those who are lost to be judged. Now tonight, we'll take each one of these verses individually. We'll do a very deep expository study of these verses. Again, this is Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. Now this is apocalyptic language. It's it's, it's highly symbolic language, but the symbolism of these verses represents something that is very real. This is not fantasy. This is not something that's made up. This is not something that doesn't, uh, this is uh, something that represents something that is true. So let's take a look at each one of these verses individually. First of all, Revelation 14 and verse 14. Here's what John, the human author of the book of Revelation, says. He says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. John said, I saw a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now this is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said he sees this white cloud white cloud, and sitting on this white cloud is the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus is seen sitting. Sitting in this verse signifies that Jesus is sitting in a place of judgment. In ancient times, judges did not stand when they rendered judgment. They did not stand when they were hearing a, a case. They sat. And so Jesus is seen sitting on a white cloud. He is a judge about to render judgment. The white cloud emphasizes the deity of Jesus. It emphasizes His purity, His holiness, His magnificent majesty. 
the white cloud that Jesus sits on makes a statement about Jesus himself. John says, on the head of Jesus is a golden crown. He saw a golden crown upon the head of Jesus. Now, this is the victor's crown. This is the crown that was given to those who were victorious in ancient games. It was a crown that was placed upon the head of a, of a general after he had won a great battle. It's the victor's crown. Jesus, sitting on this white cloud as a judge, is a victor. Jesus is a conqueror. Jesus is not a victim. Jesus went to the cross and He died for our sins on the cross, but Jesus is not on the cross any longer. Jesus came off of that cross, He was placed in a grave, and then He arose in victory. Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor. And Jesus has in His hand, according to what John saw in this revelation, a sickle. Now, a sickle was a sharp implement of harvest. It was used by, a, by ancient farmers and even farmers up even to modern times. It was an in instrument used to harvest grain. It was a very sharp sickle that would use to be used to cut down the grain. Very sharp instrument, knife-like instrument. Something that was used in a harvest. And so in verse 14, John said, I looked and I saw Jesus sitting on a white cloud with a victor's crown on his head, and he was holding in his hand a sickle. In Revelation 14, 15, John continues to tell us what he saw. He said, Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a very loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. And here's what the angel said. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is right. John said he looked and he saw an angel coming out of the temple, that is, out of the very presence of God in heaven. And when the angel came out of the temple, he declared with a loud voice that the time has come to harvest the grain of the earth. Now, first of all, this declaration was not for the Lord's benefit. The angel didn't come out and give Jesus an order. The angels don't give Jesus orders. The angels respond to the orders of Jesus. So this declaration by the angel was not for the Lord's benefit. This declaration was done for John's benefit for the one who is writing the book of Revelation. This was done to tell John what was about to happen. And so this angel comes forward and he declares that it is time for a harvest, the harvest to begin. The harvest was ripe. The harvest is ready. This is the declaration from this angel to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was for John's benefit that he makes this declaration. Then in verse 16, here's what John says. So he who sat on the cloud 
thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, of course, what is described here is not a harvest of grain. What is described here is symbolically the harvesting of the saved of the earth. The command is given. It has now come time for God to gather in all of the saved of the earth to Him. Every time a believer dies, physically dies, and they go to heaven, their souls go to heaven, they are, in a sense, harvested to God. But there's going to be an end-time harvest. And the time has come now, according to what is declared here, the time has come to harvest the saved into the presence of God. And so this declaration is made. The time has come. Now gather in the saved to heaven. The end time aspect of this harvest of the save, of the saved, began in earnest at the rapture of the church. When the church was raptured up, that was the beginning of this harvest. This harvest will conclude with the ingathering of all of those tribulation saints, all of those multitudes who are saved during the time of the tribulation. This is the ingathering of the saved. One day, when the time is right, when the harvest is ripe, our Lord will finally gather to Himself all of His people, and not one will be lost. And so this is a, a, a picture of the gathering of the saved during the time of the tribulation. Now, this ingathering will not really occur in its fullness and in its completion until Jesus comes again at the end of the tribulation. But symbolically, it is declared the time has come for the harvest. Not one of God's people is going to be lost. This reminds us of something that Jesus said in the parable of the tares and the wheat in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. When the farmer was told that some enemy had planted some weeds among the wheat, the workers went to the, the owner of the field and said, well, should we pull up the weeds to get them out of the wheat? And the farmer responded in Matthew 13, 30 in this story by Jesus. The, the farmer said, no, let both grow together until the harvest and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in the bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat, my people, into my barn. There's so many aspects of this that we could really talk about. But one comforting thing is this. If you are a child of God, you will never be lost from God. You don't have to worry. If you're a child of God, you won't be overlooked. You won't be left out. You won't be forgotten. God knows who you are and God knows where you are. 
and God will gather you to himself one day. And so this is a, a picture of the ingathering of the saved. And the aspect probably that it represents is the harvesting of the saved that began at the rapture of the church when all of God's people were called up into heaven. And it will continue and conclude with the ingathering of all of those tribulation saints. Many people will be saved during the time of the tribulation. We have seen that in the book of Revelation. And so this is God's ingathering of the saved. Pastor Jack Howes is right. There are two kinds of people in this world. You're either saved, you're either a Christian, or you're not. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Well, the Bible says to be saved is to be saved from a wasted life, a lost life in this world, and a lost eternity. To be saved from danger. To be saved from rejection. To be saved from the consequences of your sin and rebellion. To be saved, to be delivered. What does it mean to be saved? It means to have been saved by God's grace from the penalty immediately of sin. And after that, as the Lord works in our life, He will save us from the power of sin, and eventually He'll save us from the very presence of sin. To be saved from a lost life and a lost eternity. To be saved from a life lived in separation from God. To be saved from an eternity, eternity separated from God. How can a person be saved? Whosoever shall believe upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To be saved, you must admit to God that you're a sinner, that you're lost, that you're separated from God. To be saved, you must believe the truth about Jesus. Believe the truth about who He is. Believe the truth about what He has done. Believe that He died on the cross as the Son of God, the Son of God Himself died on the cross taking your sins upon Himself. That He died to pay, to pay the penalty for our sin. He died a sacrificial death. That He arose again from the dead to make our salvation possible. It means to repent of our sins and come to Christ and ask Him to come into our life and to save us from our sin and to save us from our separation from God. To be saved means to be delivered by God's grace and mercy to be a child of God, to be born again, to be a new person, to experience God's saving grace and goodness. That's what it means to be saved. And oh, how you want to be saved. You want to be harvested by God into His presence. Well, that was the first harvest. What about the second harvest that is seen in these verses? Revelation 14, 17, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. John said, Another angel comes out of, temp of the temple, the dwelling place of God, and he too was carrying a sharp sickle. 
Then in verse 18, the Bible says, and John writes, And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are ripe. Another angel was seen coming from the altar. One angel coming from the temple, another angel coming from the altar. The angel from the temple has a sickle, another sickle in his hand. The angel coming from the altar makes a declaration. The altar that is referred to here is probably the altar of incense in the very temple of God, in the presence of God. In the book of Revelation, the altar of incense is associated with the prayers of the saints, associated with judgment. You'll find in this in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 10, and Revelation 8, verses 2 through 5. And so the, the altar of incense, this, this angel coming from this altar could represent that the prayers of the saints for the coming of Jesus Christ, the prayers of God's people, for the culmination of God's plan for the coming of Jesus Christ is about to be answered. When Jesus comes again, He will come to judge the lost. He will come to judge those who have rejected Him. Now, a sickle used for gathering grain was not used, that kind of sickle was not used to gather grapes. But apparently, that kind of sickle is used here to gather the grapes, the fruit of the vine, that is represented in the second harvest in a very devastating way. This second harvest, the grape harvest, represents the ingathering of the lost the lost, those who have rejected God, those who have rebelled against God, are now gathered together not to be blessed, but to be judged. Verse 19, So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. The first harvest was grain. This is grapes. This harvest represents the unsaved, gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This is a frightening picture of the grapes of the earth, the lost of the earth, being gathered for judgment and then being cast into a great winepress the winepress of the wrath of God. The word translated wrath is the word thumos. It means to boil. It describes something of intense heat, a boiling heat. This describes the boiling rage of God's opposition to sin and evil. Sin is serious. And every sin will either be forgiven by God through the Lord Jesus Christ 
or we'll one day be judged by God in its fullness. This is God's rage against sin, the wrath of God. And this rage against sin is no longer held back by the grace of God. Right now, God's rage and wrath against sin is to a great measure held back by the grace of God because God desires that none perish but all come to repentance. But there's going to come a day. There's going to come a time when God's wrath against sin will no longer be held back. It will be given its full release. A wine press was the place where grapes were crushed to extract the, the juice of the grape. One day God will gather all of the lost of mankind to the place of His final judgment. The Bible says God is a God of love, but also He is a God of judgment. God would much rather forgive than He would judge. God is much more interested in saving you for what you can be than condemning you for what you have been. God is a good God of grace and mercy, and He holds back His wrath against sin. Because He desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. But one day the wrath of God will no longer be held back. The wrath of God against sin will have its full, will be displayed and demonstrated in its full measure. One day God will gather all of the lost of mankind to His place of final judgment. Revelation 14, 20, and the winepress was trampled outside the city. And the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This verse specifically, most likely, points to the final battle of tribulation, of the tribulation time. That is the battle of Armageddon. With the armies of the Antichrist, the armies of the world, which have gathered together to destroy the Jewish nation and all of, all, of, all of the Jews in an effort to defeat God, when that mighty army will be crushed and annihilated by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that this battle will occur outside the city of Jerusalem. And the blood of this final battle lost by the enemies of God. The, the blood of this final battle will flow. John says it's six foot high, 200 miles long. That could be symbolic of a great slaughter. It could be literal. This is the ingathering of the lost for judgment. My friend, you need to be saved. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who are separated from God. Those who live in rejection, rebellion against God. What does a person have to do to be lost? What do you have to do to be lost? The answer to that is nothing. All a person has to do to be lost is to live their life without ever trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. 
A person doesn't have to do anything to be lost. But they have to do something to be saved. They have to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And so tonight in these frightening verses, we see the ingathering of the saved to be brought into God's barn, to be brought into God's presence, and the ingathering of the lost for judgment. My friend, my friend, I beseech you today, if you're not a Christian, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, be saved. Be saved today. Be saved before it is too late. Ask Christ to come into your life. Confess your sins. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to forgive you. Surrender your life to His Lordship. Give your life to Christ today. That concludes our study of the book of Revelation. I pray it's been a blessing to you. Join us again next Sunday night as we continue to go through this marvelous book. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.